Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that you are a great and glorious God. We thank and praise you that you have gathered us here to hear your word. Help us to think through the aspects of your word which mean we should make it a part of our daily life. Help us to listen to you. Allow you to shape our priorities, our purposes. Help us to know and understand why your word needs to be central in our lives that we might live for the praise and glory of your son who lives and reigns and sits at your right hand. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today, as we know, we're continuing our series on Hungry for God and we're looking specifically at Hungry for God's Word. In this talk, I'm basically going to go through five characteristics of God's Word that should make us hungry for it. They are that God's Word is powerful, God's Word is purposeful, God's Word reveals, God's Word reigns, uh, God's Word rules or reigns, and God's Word sustains. Now, each of these attributes or features of God's Word really should make us hungry for it. It should make us want to read it. And as we look at them in turn, we'll consider how our hope and our prayer is focused around God and what he has spoken to us in his word. It should make us hungry to hear what he has to say. So I'm going to go straight into it and I'm going to look at that first attribute or characteristic of God's word, that God's word is powerful. And if you want to follow along, you might find it easier to follow along using the outline. So looking at that first characteristic, God's word is powerful. And God's word is powerful because God's word creates. We exist only because God has spoken us into existence. I just want to read from one verse from Genesis 1. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Throughout Genesis 1, we see a demonstration of God's power at work through his word. When God speaks, his word brings things into being, into existence. There is a constant refrain running throughout the creation account of, let there be whatever, which is followed by a corresponding, and there was. God's word creates ex nihilo, or ex nihilo, which in English just means from nothing. That is extraordinarily powerful, that God can speak from nothing. We can't do that. I can't create like that, and I think I'm on fairly certain ground to say, neither can any of you. When we do so-called create, we're creating from pre-existing manner. What people call creating is people using their imagination to make something new from the creation that already exists. Creation for us is reassembling the pre-existing creation. The pre-existing creation that God has already made through his word. Our words, our ideas cannot create from nothing. I dare you to try it at home. Try standing in your kitchen and calling down your favourite meal. Speak the words, baby back ribs. No. You're in the realm of magic and Harry Potter. That is not the real world. 
Only God can create from nothing. And that is the power of God's word. It is a direct reflection of God's character and nature. And it should be of great comfort to Christians as nothing can overcome the power of God's word. The power of God's word is the foundation for all Christian assurance. The power of God's word means that it is totally reliable. It is dependable. Another way of saying that God's word is reliable is to say that God's word is truth. God's word creates reality. His word creates truth. Truth is that which accords with reality, with what exists. And God's word isn't simply a reflection of some pre-existing truth. God's word creates truth, creates reality in which we all exist and must rely. I remember reading Genesis 1 and realising this truth, that I existed only because of the power of God's word. The only reason I stand here today is because God spoke me into existence. Yes, I came from my parents who came from their parents who came from their parents and so forth and so forth. But if you follow that chain of events back through history, you'll eventually arrive at the beginning of creation with those three simple words. And God said. We exist at the pleasure and power of God's word. And when we realise that our existence is totally dependent upon God's word, then you realise to cut yourself off from that word is to cut yourself off from the source of your own existence. If we exist through the power of God's word, the truth is we really can't ignore it when it doesn't suit us. God's word is powerful and it is the creator of truth. It creates reality. We only exist because God has spoken. So let us not ignore God's word when it is inconvenient to us. Let us first listen and want to hear and obey it. The second reason why we should be listening and paying attention to God's word is God's word is purposeful. The purpose of God's word is to reveal God's glory to us. Joe read this passage last week, but let's listen to it again from Isaiah 55. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. This verse compares God's word to the process of growing. The focus of God sending his word is that he sends it to bring about his purposes in the creation, in reality. God's word goes out to achieve his goals, which is to show his glory in all the earth. Now, if that is what God is sending his word for, if God is sending his word out so as to show and bring about his purposes, then we in turn need to be, as we listen to God's word, on about God's purposes. And that, we must realise, 
if we have been brought about to serve God's purposes, that is a great blessing to God's people. God's purposes and God's priorities shape our lives. It is an incredible, oh, it is an incredible blessing to allow God to shape our priorities. God's word gives us clear goals. They give us clear aims to shoot for. We should be thankful for the purpose that God gives us through his word. Throughout our society, we see suicide rates are skyrocketing. Drug overdoses are increasing and advertisers are incessantly preaching at us that our fulfilment and our happiness will come through the latest eye gadget or doohickey. If you will only buy this or get that, then your life will be complete. Well, it will be complete until next week when we restock the middle aisle at Audi. That is what is happening whenever you turn on the TV. We are being preached at. It is all to sell us what the advertisers think is the best version of life. But is it? Is what they are selling really going to make our lives so much better? Have you noticed the general lack of purpose in our society? Many people are becoming listless, purposeless, existing without direction and without hope, except for maybe a general or vague sense of pleasure-seeking. We know the phrase advertisers use because you're worth it. The most important, in the per most important person in the world is me. Oh, no, I meant you. But pleasure-seeking will only carry you so far. It is fruitless and pointless consumption. And a society that has mounted the trend wheel of endless consumption has shipwrecked itself on meaningless materialism. Ah, but who cares? Just keep on buying. But if we take a step back, we will see that our society is in a war of words. And that battle of words is a battle between purposes. On the one side are the world's purposes and on the other are God's purposes. On the one side, the world is preaching a gospel of uh, pointless consumption. On the other, God's word is preaching a gospel of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And when we see this battle, we can think, that we're experiencing something different, something new. But this battle of words began way back when Satan posed the original question, did God really say? That is the hidden question lurking behind all of the world's preaching. Did God really say? When we start to doubt God's word, when we turn from his word, we turn from per God's purposes in our lives. And when we live in our world and do what it calls us to do, we are silently and quietly questioning God's good word to us. To stop believing in what God says, to stop believing in his good purposes, is to turn away and not trust God's word. And what God wants us for us and wants us to do is to know him and to know his purposes. He wants us to listen to him, which leads us to our next point, that God's word reveals. 
God's word reveals God to us. God's word reveals God's character, which is his glory. When God speaks, he reveals aspects about his own character and nature. God makes himself known through his word. God tells us what he wants us to know about him. If you want to know God, then you must go to the source, go to the place where he reveals himself in creation, his word. We don't need to trek up a mountain. We don't need to contort our body into weird and wonderful positions, thinking that somehow through self-flagellation and bodily pain, God will now make himself known to us. God reveals himself to the whole of humanity in one place, his word. In God's word, God tells everyone how we are to act, how we are to live our lives before him. God is the best person to do this because God knows himself the best. He knows what he likes and doesn't like. He knows why he created us and how we should live. If we want to know God and live out his purposes, then the best person to ask is God himself in his word. It is the place where he reveals himself to us. And that is what his word is. It is the place where he has revealed his acts through history that reveal his character and his purpose to humanity, to man. And that revelation, that revelation of himself, finds its focus in the person of Jesus Christ himself, who is the word become flesh. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the revelation of God to us. He is the word of God to us. To know Jesus is to know God, for Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Jesus makes this point himself later in the gospel. In John 6, Jesus tells his followers that he is the bread of life. When many of Jesus' followers at that time hear this, they are shocked and many of them simply walk away. At that point, Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks whether they want to walk away too. And Peter responds, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. In Jesus, we have the revelation of God in human flesh. Though we cannot reach up to God, in Christ we do not need to because God, through the flesh of his Son incarnate, he has reached down to man. That's what the word incarnate means, to make fleshy. Jesus is the word of God become flesh to reveal God to us. To turn from Jesus is to turn from God's word. Inversely, to turn from God's word is to turn from Jesus. The hunger to know God's word is the hunger to know God, is the hunger to understand him and to live for his character, reveal his character in our lives, his purposes. God's word reveals God to us. Our fourth point, God's word 
rules. God's word is the final final standard and authority in all creation. We can choose to be other other standards and rules, of course, but those rules are only going to remain enforceable so long as they are based in truth. And this includes the laws and rules of governments. Governments or organisations that make laws contrary to God's word will eventually collapse. It may take years, maybe even centuries. Regardless, standing against the truth of God's word will only bring ruination. Read, read this in Psalm 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the vice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. To turn away from God's word and his standards will only put a person on a path to destruction. As the psalm states, have you noticed in our society the decline in the trust of institutions? People are losing confidence in our institutions. And when all is said and done, people will lose trust and this loss of trust is a direct result of the loss of truth, the loss of God's word, God's rule as the basis of our society. When institutions or people move away from God's word, being the rule of life, being the standard, then they move away from the foundation of all truth. It doesn't matter what letters a person might put after their name, it doesn't matter what qualifications they possess. If a person no longer seeks truth, then all the qualifications and all the letters they possess become nothing other than a deception or a lie. They simply become a means of pushing their truth, their reality, their rules upon others. That's moral or rational relativism and it's running rampant through our institutions at present and it's destroying them. That is what's happening in our society. Okay, that's what's happening in society in general, but what about the broader Christian church, the broader Christian society? And equally, but and in a lot of ways more dangerous and far insidious problem for God's people are those who use God's word wrongly for their own purposes, for their own rules. That is why I wanted us to consider Jesus' temptation because at Jesus' temptation, Satan uses God's word to undermine it and its rule. We read, The devil took him, Jesus, to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you. And they will not support your, you with their oh, and they will support you with their hands, so that the, you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus told him, "It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God." Here, Satan knowingly and deliberately takes God's word out of its context to say something that it isn't saying. Satan is quoting here Psalm 91. It's interesting he doesn't quote, quote verse 13 because in verse 13 it prophesizes that Satan's going to be destroyed. He just leaves that one out. 
But in the psalm, God says he will protect his son, the Christ. And Satan quotes the psalm because he wants Jesus to test God's word or more importantly, to doubt God's promises to him. We need to be on the lookout for people who will undermine God's word, its rule, by taking it out of context. You will often hear Christians, and most especially Roman Catholics, attack the idea of sola scriptura or scripture alone. Sola scripture is the teaching that the final authority or rule for all Christians is God's word. That's what sola scriptura means. God's word is the final authority. Full stop, no debate. The question comes, well, how can we be sure that of what God's word is saying to us? How can I be sure that I've understood it rightly? Now, it is this question that we have to be careful with. Roman Catholics will argue that the Pope has the final authority to interpret scripture, that the Pope has the final authority to tell us what God's word means. We must say no to this. There is only one person who has the authority to interpret, to tell us what God's word means in all existence, and that is the spirit. We don't want to interpret God's word here. We want to understand it and understand God's intended meaning, the meaning he gave through the originally chosen authors. That's our goal. And having understood it correctly, to apply it rightly to our lives. Whoever has the authority to tell you what God's word means has the final authority. And that authority will be over and above God's word. Now, Roman Catholics will argue that they are not doing this because they say that God has given Peter and his successors authority over the church. And so they will say they're not an authority over God's word, but beside it. But it is false. If you, are, you have the authority to tell all people what God's word means, you are the final authority. The right to interpret God's word is the right to tell you what it means. That means they are the final authority, no matter what language they want to use to cover that up. Sola Scriptura, or Scripture alone, means that God's word, when it's understood and comprehended in its proper context, is the final authority. It speaks plainly on its own. God's word does not need any man or any person to make itself understood. But people will always seek to twist God's word into saying something that it doesn't. And scripture warns us about this. We read in 2 Peter, also regard, also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about, all, uh, speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things that are hard to understand in them. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of, of the scripture. There is a right way and a wrong way to handle the scriptures. That is why we want you to listen to all the sermons you hear with your Bibles open. 
you should be putting everything Joe, Dave and I say to the test. When you listen to your sermons with your Bibles open, you are saying to us as preachers, we are going to put everything you say to the test against God's word. That is right. You should do this. You should do no other, so help you God. God's word rules and is the final authority. Once God's word is correctly understood, then it must be obeyed. Full stop, no debate. Which brings us to the final, and I think one of the greatest blessings of God's word, God's word sustains. And it is the reason we really should hunger after God's word. God's word sustains us. In Jesus' temptation with Satan, each time Satan tempts Jesus away to do evil, Jesus responds with God's word. And Jesus is using passages from Deuteronomy. And the first temptation relates directly to trusting God's promises. We read, Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Here, Jesus would have been physically hungry. He's been out in the wilderness for 40 days. And Jesus, being God incarnate, would have had the power to command the stones to become bread, to sustain him. And what Satan wants Jesus to do is to doubt God's word to him. Because just before the temptation, we read that God the Father has spoken to Jesus at the baptism and has said, this is my beloved son. Satan wants Jesus to put God's word to death. He wants him to doubt it. He wants him to say, God's word won't sustain you. But what Satan truly desires is for Jesus to turn away. But Jesus replies, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus' sustenance is not with bread, but from, comes from trusting God's word. He will not doubt God's word to him. He will not doubt God's promises to him. He trusts God's word and will not allow Satan to white ant his faith in it. Do we think of God's word as our sustenance? Do we hunger for God's word? Do we long to listen to it, to understand it, to know how it will uh, allow us to resist the temptations of the world when they come against us? This is what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to listen to the temptations, to distrust God's promises. We've all heard those nagging chains of doubt. Oh, you're not a good person. It's true. Then comes the next. What you've done is so bad, God will be angry with you. True again. You're so bad, God can never forgive you. False. Because we have the promise that all those who place their trust in Jesus are forgiven through his blood. And that can never be taken from us. We need to hold on to that promise because it sustains us. We are assaulted on every day, on every side, with reasons why we shouldn't trust God's word. And the only remedy to that, the only remedy, 
is to fill yourselves with God's word. God's word is our life. It is our sustenance. God's word sustains and nourishes us. Remember what Peter had to say. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow into your salvation. Those of us who have been parents know the incessant cry of the newborn wanting their mother's milk. Apparently, there are only a few more annoying sounds than the cry of a newborn baby. But are we the newborn? Are we incessantly crying after God's word? Is that us? Do we hunger for God's word like a newborn, starving for sustenance? Do we hunger and thirst for God's word? If we did, we should be driven to drive the ministers of this church nuts with our questions about God's word. We should be the Ned Flanders of our church. Read your Bible, ask questions, figure out what, is, what it's saying. Joe and Dave would love to hear all your questions anytime. They will take your call, I'm sure. We should desire to listen to God's word. We should uh, hunger after what he is saying. If you want to grow as a Christian, then the only way to really grow is to set aside time daily to read his word. It doesn't have to be a lot. Ten minutes a day reading his word. Make it the first thing you do before you roll out of bed. Set your alarm an extra ten minutes and wake up And when you wake up, wake up to read God's word. Put the Bible next to your bed. Read a section, reflect upon it, especially in the cold of winter when it comes. That'll be an awesome thing to do in the comfort of your bed. You'll have a real reason to stay there. Spend some time. Make yourself accountable to reading God's word. Crave the growth that only comes from a continual and regular engagement with the sustenance of God's word. These are the five characteristics that really should make us hunger for God's word. And I thought of many ways, you know, that God's word is powerful, God's word is purposeful, God's word uh, reveals himself to us, God's word rules and God's word sustains. But the best way to think about and allow God to speak is to actually allow God to speak. So let's finish and finalise this sermon with allowing God to speak to us what he has to say. And I've taken a verse and from Psalm 119, which reflects upon a lot of what I have spoken on today. Remember your word to your servant. You have given me hope through it. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. The arrogant constantly ridicule me, but I do not turn away from your instruction. Lord, I remember your judgments from long ago and find comfort. Fury seizes me because of the wicked who reject your instruction. Your statutes are the theme of my song during my earthly life. Lord, I remember your name in the night and I obey your instruction. This is my practice. I obey your precepts. And the people said, Amen.